0: we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church, and we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Good morning. Good morning. Grab all my doodads here and we'll get going. We are uh, going to be doing a Mark Your Bibles lesson tonight. Uh, This is your fair warning to bring that Bible with you. Uh, Also, uh, the topic tonight is on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. So I have been thinking about those concepts, and we'll talk more about those tonight. Uh, Also, yesterday, uh, I had the uh, opportunity to do some pre-marriage counseling with some friends of ours. And so I've just had marriage on my brain lately, and so I thought I would uh, give you a little bit of instruction from Scripture regarding marriage and two steps to a better marriage. This is one of those sermons that we preachers always wish we could preach without our wife sitting in the audience, uh, because it, 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 don't assume that I'm really good at the things we're going to talk about today. Uh, These are not two steps from Adam's catalog of wisdom, and these are not two steps that Adam has experienced doing these two things will make everything better. These are two steps you find in scripture, and they are things that I fight with and struggle with and try to develop and mature in in my life, and I think you can do the same. Uh, There are many in our audience who aren't currently married. That doesn't mean that the things we're going to talk about today don't also apply to you and the relationships that you have. So let's kind of dig in to this uh, fairly simple lesson on how to make a better marriage. Uh, I'll be honest, uh, if you look at statistics, we are not doing well when it comes to marriage. I don't mean... The church, as much as I mean society in general. Uh, we have more help out there to help us with our marriages than we've ever had available before. Uh, there are professional matchmakers out there in apps and computer programs and dating websites. All sorts of places that will try to match you up with the most compatible available partner there is out there in the world. So now it's not even find someone in your community, but you can find someone across the globe that you are most compatible with, according to uh, the algorithms and the different things that are out there. There are personality tests and compatibility tests and all sorts of things that are out there to try to help you find the perfect mate for you and therein lies the problem because marriage is not about someone being perfect for you marriage is about you being someone perfect for someone else I don't know what kind of bug that is so just just uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sidestep as need be because Yeah. Anyway, uh, we in our world, even on top of all of the helps that we have, we have a lot of things in our world that are currently damaging our ability to have better relationship, like social media and some of the uh, technologies that exist now. Uh, It it has been amazing to me to watch over the past couple of decades how many friends I have, uh, young men that get married and they go home and they sit down on the couch and they grab a controller and they start playing games until the late hours, at which point they go join their wife in bed who is already asleep, and then they wonder why their wife is unsatisfied or they are unsatisfied with their marriage. There are technologies that are there where couples, instead of spending time together, spend time in the same room but not together. And that's kind of the way our our life is. Facebook, social media has recrafted and redesigned the way we think about relationships. We consider someone that we haven't seen in decades a great friend because we know their updates and not because we've actually extended the hand of friendship at all. Back in 1960, seven out of ten people in their 20s were married. As of the middle, uh, around 2014, two out of 10 people in their 20s are now married. For the first time in history, the average American now spends more years single than they do married. And still, about 50% of marriages end in divorce. First marriages, that percentage goes up when you get into second and third and fourth and fifth marriages. What I find interesting about that is that I remember back in the late 80s, early 90s, back when I can remember these types of things being discussed as a child, where the discussion was, well, 50% of marriages are ending in divorce, so maybe the problem is we just need to get married later. We need to get married when there's more maturity. We need to get married when you've accomplished more so that you're bringing more to the table. And there were all these explanations as to how we can make marriages better by making marriages later. The truth is, what we're finding is marriages are happening later, they're happening less, and they're still ending just as often. Because the solution is not found in timing, and it's not found in psychology, and it's not found in dating websites and compatibility tests and understanding people's personalities. The success of marriage has nothing to do with what the world can offer you, but everything to do with what God can offer you. And we forget that sometimes. So I'm just going to give you, I I, I could give you 20 steps to a better marriage, 10 steps to a better marriage, but I've got a time restraint that I keep breaking week after week after week. So I'm going to give you two Steps to a better marriage that I think will be uh, at least good summary ideas that will help you develop into the kind of person that makes a good marriage. The first step is this. Love God until nothing is left. Love God until nothing is left. I base that off of a couple of verses. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, we know Jesus isn't promoting Hatred. That goes very much against many of the other things that Jesus taught. What Jesus is promoting is priorities. That when we have a great relationship with God, a dependency on God, a love for God, in comparison, any other relationship would be akin to hatred. Because when you couple this verse with passages like Matthew chapter 22 verse 37, where he says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and then it's even added in other passages all of your strength. This is the great and foremost command. If you love God with every bit of your being all of your heart, all of your soul all of your mind and all of your strength not some of your heart and some of your soul. You need to give 90% to God so that he has the most and the first, but then you reserve 10% elsewhere. That's not what it says. What it says is you love God with everything. All of who you are. You love God until nothing is left. If that's the way you love God... I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to have a successful marriage. Here's why. When you love God like that, it includes concepts like leadership. It's not a popular concept in our culture today, is it? The idea that the man is the head of the home, just like Christ is head of the church over in Ephesians chapter 5. Or First Corinthians 11, verse 1, where it talked about that man is, or Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. But that idea of headship or leadership, that a man is supposed to lead his wife in a loving way, in Ephesians 5. That he is to treat her as the weaker vessel, First Peter chapter 3, I think. that's not a popular concept but it is a biblical one now that does not mean authoritative rulership and it does not mean that you rule with an iron fist and that you squash anything beneath you notice it's loving leadership in Ephesians 5 it is treating her lovingly as if she is something precious in 1 Peter that's the goal that's the kind of leadership that is there that is commanded by god for men and if you love god with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength you will obey god and treat your spouse accordingly because when you love god completely you obey god completely what is it that jesus says if you love me you will keep my commands And so if God tells us to lead, if God tells us that we are to, as men, provide spiritual guidance for our wife and for our children, that we are to be heads of our homes, not just in the sense of authority, but heads of our home in the sense of responsibility when that's the kind of husband we are being, when we are promoting and having biblical conversation about God's ideas and how God says that we should live, and we are engaging in God-focused activities as a family, because those are the things that God would have us to do that show of God most. We love God with all of our being. When you with all of your being it creates a certain type of living and that certain type of living brings good marriages that's the idea here now i'm not saying that a man shouldn't love his wife that he should only love god and therefore he should treat his wife as a as a to-do list as a as a checklist item is just something he has certain responsibilities toward because he's serving God and God's all matter no because God says your wife matters and to the women God says your husband is the leader and you will submit out of their love for God you will submit to the authority and responsibility of your husband You will will seek spiritual guidance from your husband if you truly love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you will turn to your husband for biblical conversation. That you will in your marriage be focused on things you can do together to bring glory and honor to the God you love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That kind of family that is so overwhelmingly focused on God is going to bring about a God-honoring and loving and submissive and a peaceful relationship. It's not popular in the world, but it's truth. You know, when you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you end up finding your fulfillment in God, not in each other. You find your fulfillment in a God who provides. Not, not in a spouse who, who's not bringing in enough money. You're not going to be expecting God to be the one to provide your sense of fulfillment and your hope and your peace. God is God. Your spouse is not. But I, I'm going to be honest, I, and I've fallen guilty of this. There's a lot of times I have expected my wife to provide for me what God promised to provide for me. You know, I I expect my wife to bring me peace. It's not her job. God says He'd bring peace, God says He'll bring provision. Not my wife. You know, if, if we truly believe what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that God will clothe you and feed you and provide for you if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God will provide all these things for you. Yet yeah, how often do we, we expect that out of one another? Well, you're not doing your part. You're not providing. You're not giving enough. You're not, you know, we, 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 you need to do more. You need to provide more. But that's God's job. Now, I'm not saying we can sit back and be lazy and be bumped on the log and not do the job that we've been blessed with to do in order to provide for our needs. I, that's not my point at all. Don't run to extremes with this. But the truth is, when we look to a spouse, to provide for us what God promises to provide for us, we're looking to the wrong source. How often is it that marriages fail because of disputes about intimacy or money? Those are the two number one issues. And honestly, depending on the survey you look at and the year you look at, they, they go back and forth. Sometimes the, the major issue in divorces that, that's filed with the court system is disputes about money, and sometimes it's disputes about compatibility, irreconcilable differences or uh, issues according to counselors, will be issues of intimacy. Now here's what I find interesting: on God source of provision. Also promises to be our source of comfort. Aren't we looking to the wrong source when we blame our marriages for those things? Your spouse, not your God. Your spouse is a companion, is a helpmeet, is a friend, is a partner to go through life with, but they are not your God. And when we learn to love God and depend on God and treat God as God and love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, it takes so much weight off of your spouse and it allows your marriage to thrive. Step two, Love your spouse like you love yourself. We're familiar with that concept. I mean, again, if you read on in Matthew chapter 22, after he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, On these, or this is the greatest and foremost commandment. It goes on to say the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. That's the reason I can say, All of the rules about marriage are wrapped up in these two steps. It's because Jesus said it right there. Everything is wrapped up into these two steps. Everything. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 28 tells husband, in the same way, husband, you are to love your wives as your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. If you continue reading on in that passage, it says this. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church. I might regret using this as an illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. Because some of you are going to check out as soon as I say this. But who's hungry in here? Uh, Yeah, all the kids put their hands up, and a few adults did, and the rest of you are like, well, yeah. I mean, wait we get to this point of the day, uh, and we're hungry, and and that's why I don't want to bring it up because now your your mind is gone to lunch. I, I know that. Uh, bring it back. Just, let, just a few more minutes here, okay? We're hungry. Who here having lunch? Why not? That's what he means here. He, he doesn't mean, well, I look in the mirror and flex in the morning because whoo, can't get enough of that. I mean, that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul of your flesh because you feel the needs of your flesh. And so when you're hungry, when you're thirsty, you find something to drink. You do the things your body requires of you in order to care for it, in order to provide for it. Husbands are to treat their wives likewise. You are to love her the way you love lunch. You wouldn't neglect your body when it comes to your hunger for lunch, so you shouldn't neglect your wife when she needs something. That's the idea. You love the way Yourself. You provide for your spouse just like you would automatically, without hesitation, provide for yourself. Jesus Himself did this for his bride, the church. Husbands love wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Christ. Loved the church. So this includes the idea of sacrifice and selflessness and service. There are times when I sacrifice for the sake of my body. I I know that sounds odd, but let me me put it in these terms. There are times when I'm busy working I'm down in my office and I'm kind of in the groove and I'm doing things and and taking care of things and all of a sudden my stomach rumbles because I skipped breakfast and I'm getting hungry and it's about noon and my stomach starts rumbling. You know what I do? I sacrifice productivity for the sake of filling the needs of my body. Ever do that? You sacrifice one thing for the sake of giving, your body says it needs. Are there times in your marriage when, you that? when you've got one thing in mind, you've got one idea, you think you're going to go one direction, and all of a sudden your spouse goes, I really think we should do this other thing. And you've got a choice. Do I want to do what I want to do or do I want to do what she wants to do? Do I want to take care of what I think is best or do I want to put myself aside in order to give her what she says is best? Sometimes your wife can be a little bit like a growling stomach. And you drop what you're doing and you go fill that need. Your husbands can be a nagging bitch and you're doing and you're I mean, that's the challenge here. That you do what is necessary. You put aside what you have determined for the sake of giving your spouse what they need. Because that's what Christ did for us. You know, the golden rule is a great guideline here. Do unto others. Let's, Let's change this a little bit. Do unto your spouse what you would have done unto you. Doing unto others what, what you would expect others to do for you. How you treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat spouse the way you want to be treated. If you want her to, on occasion, or him to, on occasion, drop what they're doing in order to serve your need, then you need to be able to drop what you're doing in order to serve their needs. Kind of the definition of selflessness. And that's the principle here that, that is laid out for us that, that allows us to be able to treat others the way they should be treated. It means finding happiness not in being served, but in serving others. I was listening to a podcast recently uh, that... that uh, has Keith Stonehart, which y'all know, has started a podcast with a high school or with a with a friend of his back from when he was bef- before he was a Christian, a, a bandmate of his, and they got into some discussion on marriage. And so they did a whole podcast on marriage, and it, it was interesting because Keith is approaching this podcast from the perspective of a Christian, and his friend, who is not a Christian, is approaching the concept of marriage from the perspective of the world. So Keith has this concept of divorce is not okay. His friend has the concept that divorce is acceptable uh, if it's needed. And Keith has the concept, and this is what I thought was really interesting, is that the friend kept talking about we need to be happy in our marriages, that the goal of marriage is being happy. And if you're not happy, you should find a way to be happy And Keith makes the point, and and absolutely a biblical point, the goal is not happiness, but holiness. The goal of marriage is not the feeling of happiness. Because, as anybody who has been married very long knows, there are times when the feeling of happiness is fleeting. But what about the pursuit of holiness? Does that ever flee? Does that Does that ever just waver? Does that ever just come and go? Or should that be consistent? The truth is, and this is where the world gets this so wrong, we believe marriage is about making us happy i can't tell you how many times i've listened to vows and i put them in quotes because rarely do you actually hear people give vows anymore they just give assertions of love they, they don't actually promise anything but it's interesting in those assertions of love that are given there in front of a preacher and in front of an audience how often is it a you make me feel like this not what marriage is about. Marriage is about me making you feel not what you make me feel. Marriage is about me putting my spouse's needs before my own so that I can make her feel loved and wanted and pure and holy and right before God. That's what marriage is about. It's not about finding happiness by being served and having my needs met, but by me serving her and her needs being met. When that's your understanding of marriage, it erases this concept of entitlement, that marriage is all about me and my joy, and it places marriage back in the context of, no, it's about something bigger than me. And that needs to be the way we view this. The truth is, the world says marriage is about fulfillment and happiness and getting your needs met and partnership and equality and all of these, these things that the world has redefined marriage as. And it's not surprising when that's the way you view marriage, you find marriage unfulfilling and you seek to get out of it. The Bible says marriage is about Holiness and about meeting the other needs, and about headship and submission. Let me add another thing in there that we didn't really talk about, but something good to think about. Marriage is about serving God together. That's what marriage is about. If we could get back to the biblical definition of marriage and God's purpose in creating marriage— oh, we'd have such such joyful people. We'd have marriages that lasted lifetimes. We'd have marriages that that were happening earlier and earlier because every example that I see around me is of a godly marriage and a good marriage and a happy marriage, and I want to have a part of that. I don't want to push it off as if it's the last resort option before it gets too late, which is the way people treat marriage now. Marriage, if I were to sum all this up, is never about you. It's about God and your spouse. That's our two rules here. Love the Lord your God with all you have, and then love your spouse like yourself. If you will place the focus on God and then your spouse, you will be able to build a marriage that is Second to none. It will bring you joy and fulfillment and happiness. I tell you, it's always astonishing to me to watch the way God's directions just make so much sense, especially when you contrast them with the world's directions. God's way of doing things just works. And the reason for that, the reason the Bible has such clear and easy and verifiable instructions on how to do these things is because God created these things. He knows how they're supposed to work. And so why wouldn't we turn to Him for the directions on how to build those life, those relationships? If, if you're not a child of God, let me tell you another relationship God tells us about. He tells us, how to have a relationship with him. He tells us how that works. And it's not about what makes sense to us. It's about what he has proclaimed as truth. He has said, if you will believe that the word of God tells his story, if you will believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him, if you will repent from living a life without him and be baptized into Christ and have those sins of yours washed away, then you can be in a relationship with him. You can be sinless, and you can be married to Christ as a part of the church. And I tell you, as as much as I fail to meet these two steps, God doesn't. God knows exactly how to build this relationship with me in a way that brings joy and happiness and peace. He's a great God. Tell you if you don't belong to him today's a good day to belong to him please if he can help you in any way come forward and let us know how we can help you as we stand and sing this song Hosanna, you're my thanks for listening and studying god's word with us we want to help you draw closer to jesus as your lord if you feel some need as a result of today's message whether that be a need to seek god's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.